Hello, it's Shelley F. Knight, bringing you Positive Changes, a self-kick podcast. We're joined by Peggy Moore, and Peggy is a life coach. So, hello to Peggy. Hello, very nice to meet you. I'm very excited to be here. Oh, thank you. So, I know now that you're a life coach, but I know you've had quite a journey. So, please do share your story of positive changes. Well, thank you so much for allowing me to be here and to share my story. So I was a nurse, a critical care nurse, an ICU nurse for over 20 years. And I spent the last 10 years in Germany working at the American hospital that takes all the soldiers that were hurt in Afghanistan and Iraq and that area um, during that conflict over there and so anybody that was critically injured would come to Germany first we would stabilize them and then they would go to America or to Australia it was a NATO hospital so we took care of all the NATO forces Um, but as with intensive care and critical care nursing it is very stressful Um, living in Europe was very stressful but um, you know uprooting my whole family to go there and as um, time kind of got so I was there for almost 10 years and I loved my experience I loved being able to take care of their soldier those soldiers I feel like my entire first 10 years of nursing kind of got me ready to be able to be there for those soldiers and take care of those soldiers and it was such a blessing in my life but I gave it 100% and by the time my 10 years was kind of getting done, I really was feeling kind of lost. Like I didn't know who I was or what I wanted to be or what I wanted to do. I was emotionally and mentally and physically exhausted. And so we had an opportunity to come to Okinawa, Japan and with my husband's job. So we did and I kind of took a year off to really kind of figure out what I wanted. I had worked so hard to be this critical care nurse and kind of, you know, be at the top of my game. I had all these certifications, you know, and was this something that I could step back from and feel okay about? And so, I really took a year to really do some kind of soul searching and figure out what I wanted. And I very much came to terms with the fact that I love critical care nursing, but it was okay after 20 years to take a step back. And I got into school nursing, which is more public health and prevention and education and mental health. And that's when I started really kind of delving into my own mental health, my own mindset, the the things that I think about really doing some digging deep into my beliefs and my values and what I wanted to be Um, at this time in my life I became we became empty nesters at the same time so just a big transition in my life and I found so much joy in that in really being able to now finally be who I want to be instead of who everyone else wants me to be 
or maybe who I'm telling myself I need to be for my family or for my job, um, but really trying to figure out who I want to be and how I want to show up in the world and then helping others with that has been like the greatest blessing in the world. Like I love my life right now. I love my job. I love what I do. I love all the opportunities I get to teach people and help people in their life. And it's just great. That was a long story. No, I love it. It really resonates with me because I think I was a once upon a time nurse and I got to that stage where my job was defining me as well. And I absolutely loved it. I love the patience, but when I went to step away, it was really scary. I thought, can I leave it? And I actually left nursing and then returned to nursing and then left again. So I totally get how you do all this searching, don't you? You know that it, you love it and you want to make a difference, but then you think, who am I? And then, you know, for me, it was very scary. I had to step away. Who am I when I'm not a nurse? And I think maybe I'm still discovering that, but the fact you're still nursing, but in a different way is fabulous. Yeah, I definitely, well, you think about a profession and when we choose a profession, it's kind of one that follows us through life. It's part of our identity, a part of who we are. I'm a nurse. Yeah. And so, yeah, absolutely. And for so many years, I'm, I was an ICU nurse. I'm a critical care nurse. I'm an ER nurse. I'm a, you know, that first responder, that first line, I can take the sickest, the hurtest patients. That was always my, I want to make sure that I can take care of any kind of patient and be able to give them the best care. So I was always pushing to make sure I was able to do that. So really taking a shift and a step back from that, I really needed that year to really decide, um, am I willing to give this up or to change um, and to you know, evolve, I guess. And in, it has been a beautiful experience and so wonderful. I love being able to take everything that I've learned in all those years and to be able to put it in a way to teach others, um, especially our parents at our school, our students at our school. I love the opportunities I have to be able to teach them about health and about wellness um, for physical wellness as well as mental and emotional health. That's brilliant. So in the 10 years where it was full on and you was nursing all these soldiers and things, it's really busy, really fast paced. So how was your own mental health during that time? So I would honestly say my own mental health was put on hold. Um, and the interesting thing about that, and I've talked to some other of my peers that were are doing the same thing is, we were so busy and focused on trying to save those soldiers. And I think it's quite often like moms. We're so busy as moms trying to make sure this kid gets there and this kid gets there and everybody gets the love and attention they need that we forget. And it isn't till we take that moment to stop that lots of things start flooding in that we've got to take the time to process and work through. So my goal is to help people do that maybe a little sooner than I did that because I'm, I don't think I lived the healthiest life I could have lived in those years. Um, it's kind of uh, that fight or flight system. I think mm -hmm. I lived a lot on adrenaline and um, using my fight or flight system. And I kind of make that joke now that I decided to uh, let my flight 
flight or flight system rest, give my adrenals a little <laughs> rest, put that HPA axis down a little bit and um, really take some time. And it took me, it still takes me some time uh, to, in my head and my mind to process all the things that we saw yeah. during that time of taking care of those patients and what that means to me now, what that meant to me then. But taking that time to process it is so is has been so important for me and my life. So would you say that you suppress the emotions that were there? Because it is I would say on. that I did. And I think that as so many, we do that. And so that's another reason why I um, got more active in being a life coach um, so that I can help others maybe do that a little sooner. I don't think it's the healthiest thing to do. I feel like I had a lot of coping strategies that weren't the best coping strategies, you know, um, because I was running on that adrenaline all the time. I was running my body. I was pushing those emotions down, all those thoughts down so that I could just do what I needed to do, which, you know, I admit that there are times in our life when we have to do that, but I think it is a more healthy way to be able to deal with it and live, um, take care of yourself a little better. And one of the things I will say, uh, one of the things that the military, the military recognized this, recognizes this with their soldiers and all the uh, secondary trauma. So watching others go through trauma, the compassion fatigue that nurses were feeling because they were just giving and giving and giving like I was talking about. So the military had actually come up with a program and they, uh, they started it about in 2009, helping their soldiers and teaching them about resiliency and how to be resilient, how to take care of yourself, doing that self-care. And so I will say my last few years at Longstool, that's the name of the hospital, we had a great team called a combat operational stress team. And I actually, um, because I was a team leader and a charge nurse, I was able to help be a part of that team. And that really helped me start the process of processing everything that was going on in my mind and my mental health. And it really kind of started me on this journey of really learning and loving and recognizing the importance of not pressing down all those feelings and thoughts and working through them. Yeah, because I think we can suppress, and as you said beautifully, that we tend to have certain pockets in our life, you know, so when you're on a school run, you've got that deadline, we do suppress the emotions thinking, oh, not now. But they will come up, won't they, at some point. It's like grief, you can sort of put a sticky label on it, a sticky plaster, but it will come at some point. Absolutely. And I think that's the important thing that people need to realize, um, especially right now, at co and co this is a perfect opportunity to talk a little bit about COVID. I think um, I've been talking, uh, trying to talk a lot with my teachers and with my parents and with my coaching clients to realize the effect that COVID is having in your life, whether you want to admit it or not, COVID has changed things in your life. Yeah. Things are not the way they used to be, may not go back to being the way they used to be. And there's a loss in that. And there's, um, you have to have a grief process of that. And right now, I feel we're all in the middle of the, let's just get through it. Let's just get through it. Let's just get through it. You know what I mean? Yeah. That I feel like we need to start now. Let's start now looking at what 
processing those mental and emotional the mental, the thoughts that we're having in our head, the emotions that we're feeling about it, let's stop and process them now so that we have a healthier experience. We um, feel healthier with what's going on and we can come out of this a little better. If we hold it all up, like I did for those so many years, I feel like it's harder to dig through and it's harder to manage. Um, it took a lot, uh, no one had, not a lot of people have a year to just take a year off of life and, mm -hmm. and really sit and, um, you know, kind of think about what they want to be and what they want to do. So especially in this, with everything that's going on right now, like you were talking, like we were just talking about before about the lockdown and that we can't go get our hair done yeah. or we can't go get our nails done. Those self-care things that we usually do, that's a loss. And so we have to find something else to take that place to keep our mental health and our emotional health healthy and to keep from getting depressed or anxious or upset about everything that's going on, all the things that we can't control. It's so true. I wrote about it, I call it pandemic grief, and it's in my next book, Good Grief, because I just think it's such a multifaceted kind of grief that we're going to be seeing. So you've got sort of, I said, like the loss of jobs, finances, freedom, just the normality of like self-care. So you've got that, but then you're like losing your health or you're seeing your loved ones lose their health or even their life and we can't be with them at death, we can't be with them at a funeral, you know, and there's so many things, and I just think even like access to healthcare we haven't got, so in years to come we're going to have like, you know, more undiagnosed things, I just think the repercussions are going to be huge, yeah. I truly do, I, yeah, but the mental health, I absolutely health, agree, yeah, I just think everyone's grieving for something, even if you've loved lockdown, like I loved the first lockdown, we're in second, but <laughs> love the first <laughs> lockdown, because it was just, you know, was with my family, I wasn't rushing around, we were just here kind of thing. But, you know, we couldn't get out. We know that whilst we were safe, that others were dying and being unwell and things like that. So there's so much loss around. The mental health at the moment is just, well, so fragile, isn't it? More than ever. Yes, yes, I agree. And I think that, um, actually I had a good conversation at breakfast this morning. We were talking about, um, talking about several different things, but one of the girls is seeing someone um, for anxiety. And she was like, I've had this like all my life, but I never knew that's what the word meant. And so being able to say the word gave me an opportunity to accept that. And then I was able to learn the tools to be able to, oh, this is, this is what I'm feeling. Yeah. Now I know how to take care of it. But if we don't recognize that first, that, oh, this is what's going on, this loss and this grief, then it's a little more difficult sometimes later on. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think We've had to stop and be with ourselves, especially with isolation where we couldn't go across other families and things like that. And I think whether we like or not what we found, I think we've got to know ourselves a lot more. So you might be aware that like, actually I'm anxious, but I'm always too busy to notice because I'm zooming to work, paying the bills, going to the gym. That's not me, by the way. You won't find me in the gym. But when you're going out, you know, and you're not thinking, am I happy in this relationship? It just works, doesn't it? Like he goes to work, you go to work kind of thing. And I think it has shown us actually kind of like the authentic self and 
might not like what we find, but you know, maybe we've always been anxious. Maybe we've just been putting up with that relationship. Maybe it's not good enough. And when you're losing your jobs or your finances or you're doing minimal hours, maybe you realize that's not the job for you. This is not your dream. It's been a real learning yeah, time. Exactly. We um, tend to buffer things a lot. So another person at our breakfast this morning was like, um, she was like, I just because she had something traumatic happen in her um, in this past year. And um, she was like, I just stay busy because I don't want to think about it. I don't want to be alone mm. with my thoughts. And at some point she will grieve and she will process, but that's what she's doing right now, which is denial, um, which we all do at some point, yeah. all of us who want to say, Oh, COVID's not going to change my life. You know, I don't have to wear a mask. Um, so wh whatever it is, I'm not making a political statement with that. <laughs> But um, whatever it is that you're saying, we all are going to have to process it at some point. And the sooner I feel like we accept and we process and we work on the things that we can control in our life, um, the more palatable the situation can be. And we can actually find some joy in, like you said, the first lockdown yeah. in the beginning, you know. I got a lot accomplished during this lockdown. So, you know, I, I you know, if I'm going to look at the bright side, I didn't get to go home for the summer. I usually go home in the summers and spend the whole summer with my kids and my grandbabies and that didn't happen, but I actually got a lot accomplished this summer um, with my business, with my, I just, um, I'm almost finished with my graduate degree. So. Fabulous. So I work on it. the things. Yeah, I think you do. I mean, even COVID aside, just always find that positive, that sort of like little gem in all the dust sort of things. Always search for the positive, even though some days we have to really search hard to find it. Just keep searching for it. Yes. Well, and I think that's what and helping people realize um, this month has been Thanksgiving for us is Thanksgiving for us. And so I've really focused on gratitude this month on my podcast and um, talking about, you know, just being grateful, being grateful and being grateful for ourselves, for all the things that have happened in our life. So for those 10 years, you know, for my 20 years of ICU nursing, I learned so much during that time. Yes, there were times that were hard. There were times where challenging. There's, I've had challenges in my life, but when I tell that story, I tell it as I'm the hero because I made it through and this is what I learned. And so that is another thing I really try to focus with my clients is we can tell our story where we are the hero because we can find those, um, because we made it through, we're here. And yeah. whether we think we made it through perfectly or not, we still made it through. We still learned something. So, and being grateful for that. And when you're grateful for that, just gratitude in itself brings happy chemicals to our brain. So it's a win-win. I absolutely love it. In my first book, um, Positive Changes, a self-kick book, there's a chapter called Mess to Message. And it is exactly what you're saying. Like we've come through and it's been messy, but we've survived. Do you know what I mean? We've got 100% success rate in life. We're still yeah, here standing. Right. We might have stumbled, fallen, splat, everything along the way, but we're still here. So I absolutely love that. And gratitude. I do love gratitude. It makes you grateful for what you have now before you sort of always live in the future where you want a bigger house, more money and things like that. But gratitude, it's a beautiful one, I think. 
What other tools do you use? I know you're a life coach. So what do you use to help people move forward? So I have one of, so I have quite a few tools. Um, I work on a four piece puzzle piece um, uh, is kind of the premise of my coaching program and my coaching practice. So we work on mental health, emotional health, physical health and social health and kind of putting all those puzzle pieces together. Um, I work a lot on, we work on our thoughts and realizing that our thoughts are what control our emotions, which drive our behaviors. So if there's a behavior that you want to change in your life, say um, you want to lose weight, that's always a big one. You know, what are, what are the reasons why you're, you're, you're eating those things that maybe you feel like you shouldn't be eating or why are you turning to that? Is it because you're hungry? Is it because you're bored? Is it because you're trying to, um, you're uh, in, stuck inside for COVID and you have nothing else to do. Um, yeah, that was me over COVID over the summer. Um, <laughs> so just um, looking at the behaviors and trying to figure out the thoughts that are creating the behaviors and doing the work on that and working on our mental health. What are some, what are the thing, the thing that I think is most important for people very first off is to figure out what you want. I always mm. tell my clients, we're going to take a time out. We put kids in time out, although I don't <laughs> think they put kids in time out anymore, but, um, but taking a time out, even it's for five minutes a day to really stop and get clear on what you want, what your values are, what your beliefs are, what your goals are, not what your mom taught you all your life, not what society says you should be, not what social media says you should be. You know, I always say, um, you know, I had a point in my life where I felt like I was being told what career I should choose, how I should choose it, how many kids I should have, how my kids should dress, how my kids should act, what kind of mom I should be, what kind of wife I should be. We're told all of the stuff of how we're supposed to be that I had to stop. Yeah take that time out and figure out what I wanted to be, how I wanted to show up in this world, what's important to me. And I think that is key with anything and is the most important thing in coaching is let's figure that out and then we can figure out how to get that for you because you can have that, but you got to know what you want first. Do you think it takes a certain amount of courage though to think what do I want because you say it is the people pleasing for however long it is 25 years 70 years and it is isn't it like you know your teachers your parents your siblings your cousins even random strangers let's be honest we'll give you their opinion yes they will <laughs> but you need the courage don't you to sort of make a change and then you need the clarity as well yeah um as and this is another thing that um I really um, focus on with my clients is you have to do the work. Yeah. I mean, I am here to help you. I am here to help you figure this out, but it might be hard. It might be a little painful. Sometimes when I go digging around in my head, um, <laughs> I recently had a coaching session a couple months back with someone and they were doing some coaching with me and we kept um, drilling it down and going 
going back and going down and going down and going down. And I had a limiting belief that I've had since childhood and I'm 50 <laughs> and I'm like, that's why it drove so much of my behavior. And it's a limiting belief. I, I believe that I was not smart. It was a belief that was totally ingrained in me when I was younger. And so I'm always fighting to get that like best grade and new and do that next thing. I'm a, I spent so many years trying to be a perfectionist. Everything had to be perfect. Everything had to be in super order. Everything had to be perfect or I was a failure. So, um, and I know a lot of women struggle with that perfectionism and feeling that I'm not enough. And it all stemmed back to this core belief that I had that I had to stop and be like, well, I don't really believe that. That's not true. But I had to find that. I had to go, I had to do the work. And you're right. It wasn't fun. Sometimes it's not fun to do the work and have someone asking you, well, what does that mean? So what does that mean? So tell let's go a little deeper. Let's go a little deeper. You got to do that brain work. I'm always talking about uh, managing your mind and training your brain. That's my, um, <laughs> some of my favorite go-to words because I talk a lot about the primitive brain and the frontal part of your brain, how your primitive brain is your fight or flight. It's that part of your brain that does everything by habit, what's easy, what's now, what I want now. Whereas we have to stop that take that moment because it takes a moment for our prefrontal brain to kick in and make those more rational, logical decisions of what we want in the long run. I think that's brilliant. And you mentioned perfectionism. And I always say to my kids, like, there's no such thing as perfection because one person's opinion of how things should be and nobody's perfect. So that opinion doesn't matter. But I do right. think perfectionism just kills so many of our dreams we just don't try new things we don't go for it we don't leave behind the crap I don't know if that's an acceptable word <laughs> but yes. you know we always think it should be just so and life isn't just so is it we just have to have a good try really yeah I, I agree. I, um, my oldest son, actually, being an oldest son of a mother who was a perfectionist and probably, <laughs> um, you know, you know, he was always my straight A student and really, you know, just high, high achiever at everything he did in life and got to college and did really good his first couple of years and then started really some hard engineering classes and, and had a little bit of a struggle. And his um, he, he, because he didn't get that, because it wasn't perfect, he really struggled with that and um, overcoming that, that obsessive compulsive, if it's, if one thing's wrong, it's not good enough. If I get a 94 instead of 100, that's not good enough. When, come on, you, you did the work, you, you learned, you put forth an effort, you know, instead of recognizing all of that and being happy, he was really kicking himself. And so I, I did that for years. Um, he is doing much better now, but um, I see it so often in women that I work with. They're, they, it is so hard to get them to realize that they are enough. They have this, I'm not enough. I'm not enough. I've got to do more. I've got to do more. I've got to do more. And just taking a breath and saying, I'm enough. It's okay. I am I am what I am. It is what it is, right? Um, is a blessing, but it takes a little bit of courage 
because you've lived that life of craziness and perfectionism and running on that hamster wheel forever and to get off is kind of scary it's kind of scary but it's so much better so much better for life i'm hoping i'm getting it right with my children and (laughs) i'll tell you why peggy because as you were speaking my daughter came home from school last week she's six and really seriously cute and i said how did your spelling test go she goes i got zero out of ten i went Wow. And she goes, isn't that great? Because no one else did. <laughs> that is brilliant. I love that. She's so proud that she stood out from the crowd. And I'm like, I think I might have got it right. <laughs> I love that. I think that is great. Yes. <laughs> she was just really proud that, that everyone else got something. And I got this. Isn't that great? And I was like, yes, it is. <laughs> It is. That, that is a great perspective. Wow. If I could have that perspective, life would be so much peacefuller. <laughs> so don't go for 10, aim for zero, because the joy in her face was priceless. That is so cute. I will remember that story. <laughs> Bless you. So going back to the tools you use, these four puzzle pieces, we're looking like, I don't know if it's to become whole, but to become more balanced. You're looking at the mental emotional physical and social aspects of our life can you just clarify what's the difference between mental health and emotional health yes so mental for me and the way i define it is mental health is your thoughts so the things that you're thinking in your head and your emotional health is your feelings and i separate them because so often we want to put them together yeah. and i feel like they are separate and learning how to manage them separately can help you have so much more in your life instead of i feel like so often we let our emotions control everything so i feel good so i'm having a happy day but i feel bad so i'm having a sad day you know but when actually i can use my mental health my mental my thoughts and i can tell myself that i'm gonna have a good day or that this happened good in my day and that can drive my emotions so that's why i separate the mental and the emotional so it's the thoughts and the feelings the feelings our feelings come from our primitive brain they come from the limbic center in our primitive brain whereas our thoughts if we're consciously thinking, come from the prefrontal cortex or the frontal part of our brain. So that's another reason I kind of separate them a little bit. When we make decisions based on emotion, based on without even thinking it, you know, someone says something to us and we snap at them, or we immediately get defensive or immediately get upset without thinking about it, that's our emotional part of our brain. So training that part of our brain takes using the mental part of our brain or the prefrontal cortex part of our brain does that make sense yeah no i absolutely love that so i absolutely get i mean because we use them interchangeably but actually no it's really different because your thoughts can influence your emotions and your emotions can try and override your thoughts but actually the different parts of the brain which means you this comes back to i suppose neuroplasticity one of my favorite words yes oh i love that word oh, it's such a sexy word neuroplasticity it is. i love that word <laughs> Oh, I it, use it all the time. It's so sexy, isn't it? And yes. not just the way it sounds, but the fact that it does things. Neuroplasticity. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> you know I love it. I might change my name or my middle name, like Shelly <laughs> Neuroplasticity Night. But it is that, isn't it? How we can change the brain. Yes, yes, yes. yes. 
I talk about pathways a lot, brain pathways. So we create these brain pathways all the time. And so like if it's, if the stove is hot, our hand jerks up, right? That's an yeah. automatic pathway that we have. But we also create pathways of when I feel depressed, I reach for a piece of chocolate. If that's my go-to every single time, that's a brain pathway that I have made. And we have to use that concept of neuroplasticity to break that pathway and start a new one. So now when I get depressed or when I get sad about something, I'm going to write about it. And when I get sad about it, I'm going to write about it. And so we're rebuilding, we're retraining our brain. We're using that concept of neuroplasticity and we're changing the pathways in our brain. This is what we're taught in um, for addictions. They have um, addiction is very much a pathway in the brain and those brain chemicals. Um, so, um, people that are addicted to things, they can just see something. Maybe it's a spoon that they use and that pathway in their brain automatically starts on that pathway of addiction and of wanting that substance. That's how smart our brain is. So we can train our brain to want the things that we really want in life, the things that we maybe want long-term, but it takes a little work, especially when we're older. We know that your brain is most neuroplastic when you are between the ages of um, teenager to 24. That is the most time that you have that most. That's why it's so important to have good habits during that time of your life. Um, try to stay away from things that could cause addiction because that's going to really cement some pathways in your brain. But we also know as we get older, and I just learned this really cool word, brain, uh, I think it's, okay, I'm not going to say it, but there is this <laughs> chemical, <laughs> there's this chemical that is released in your brain when you exercise. So when you increase your heart rate 60% above your resting heart rate for 10 or 15 minutes, it creates, it's called BDNF. I just can't remember what exactly that stands for. So BDNF in your brain, and it's like brain fertilizer. So it's brain juice. <laughs> so this is why we want our kids to go out and run around for 10 minutes before we teach them something really great that we want them to remember. So we can do this too. We can go on a really good walk and get our heart rate up a little bit and then we can work on, that's when we work on the you know, if I'm having this emotion, this is what I want to do. That's when we really get that strong brain work, thought work, moving into our mental and our emotional. And then we just put some physical in that as we were moving. So putting that all together. I love that. So really, if we're going for counseling or something like that, we need to walk to our appointment. Would that work? I love it. I think that's great. Yeah, I actually just found this out recently from an interview that I did with someone and I looked it up and it's legit. Like there's <laughs> um, legit as in there's research. There is um, evidence-based research um, that uh, talks about the neuroplasticity and it talks about this BDNF um, basically hormone that um, you get from exercising that gets your brain ready to learn um, new things. And so... So we can always learn new things.
Yeah, that's brilliant. I mean, going back to COVID, our son's in secondary school, like in high school, and they're just keeping a bubble. So they don't exercise at all. They just go in at half eight in the morning and they come out at three in the afternoon and they're not allowed to go out. And so now in and out, we have to keep homeschooling because COVID is doing COVIDy things. And he says, I learn far more at home because in the morning, we're like, oh, could you walk the dog first before you start? And then he has to go out at night as well. And that would explain it why I'm super mum, wouldn't it? Because yeah, you are yeah. super mum. You are brilliant. Yeah. But so no, I will, make you walk. Yeah, so I will tell you, I'm a school nurse. And we are finding with our students kind of the same thing. So we have our students that have been in, we call it range uh, restriction of movement. So if they move here, they have to stay in their house for two weeks and not go anywhere. So they don't do anything. So they come out of that and they're exhausted at recess. Yeah. So we're ha we have recess, we have them on different playgrounds, um, but we also are doing mask breaks. So our kids have to wear masks at school. We're elementary school and so we give them two mass breaks a day and it's so cute because they go outside <laughs> they stand in lines like this their hands are out so they're far enough apart from each other they go out they're able to take their mask off get some fresh air move around them usually what our teachers do is they walk them kind of around the school yeah. we are finding that we are having less behavior issues because of this I know it's because of this. It's it's amazing. And it's just, it's what our kids need. We need to move. Yeah, I read years ago that children's feet have to hit the floor so many times a day just to help calibrate them and their emotions. Like Ideally I guess, barefoot, but they, I can't remember what it was. It was thousands of steps a day just doing it. So if your kids have an absolute strop and like banging their feet on the floor, let them because it will help their behavior. It's something to do yeah. with the connection. Well, I think that's I haven't why got a sexy have... word for it, but it's probably got a sexy <laughs> word somewhere. <laughs> well, I think that's why we're having, you know, so many problems with attention. Um, and attention and um we've had a lot of uh social and emotional problems and with our kids and they just need to get that energy out they're not getting that opportunity because they're going home and they're playing on their games mm -hmm. or their phones and they're sitting and they're not doing anything so i think that's another unfortunate um the consequence of COVID and staying, everyone staying in, like you said, your kids going to school and not going out at all. I know that our kids aren't allowed to like get together in groups. Um, we used to do lots of group activities. They can't yeah. do that anymore because we don't want them together. Our kids sit behind this plastic barrier. We have a plastic barrier that sits on their desk and they have a mask on. So it's, there's going to be a lot of interesting I think consequences of COVID that we will be looking at in the next few years. Yeah, absolutely. So bless you, we've spoken about so many tools. You've got the four puzzle pieces, you mentioned about journaling, resilience and things like that. What one tool would you recommend that people could start today? If they've been suppressing those emotions or they've witnessed something traumatic, what one tool could they use from today? I think journaling is the most important tool. And I, I love that people would tell me, I don't like to journal and here's what I say. So what's our problems going on in our head, right? 
yes. and it's going on between the emotional part of our brain and that primitive part of our brain. And you can't argue in your brain when your brain <laughs> is the problem. You have to get it on paper. And I, I, that is the number besides, and when we look at what are your goals, what are your values, what are your beliefs, write them down because writing them down, number one, cements that, um, pathway in your brain and then it also cements it in your heart and in your mind and when you can look at it on paper oh well maybe that's not really something that I believe in or something that I want but this is and so you're able to see things more clearly so I am a big proponent of writing it down and I, and that's a simple tool right we can yeah. all just take the time to write it down to journal to really figure out what we want. So if I could give you two, if I could say, go home and do these two things and they will help change your life. I think it is writing things down and number one, start with what you want. And, and, and I also like to remind people that that's not selfish. It's not selfish to know what you want. You have no one else can tell you what you want. Only you know what you want. No one else can meet your needs. You have to know what those needs are and be able to vocalize those in a kind way. But this goes with boundaries and everything else. You have to know what you want. And the best way to do that is to take a time out to sit down and write it out. I agree. I went through stages where I do morning pages, which is when you wake up and you just write whatever's in your head and you'll be surprised at how much crap you carry forward from the day before. Like, oh, I should have done that with the packed lunches. I forgot to phone them. Oh my God, they peed me off when they said this. You know, the stuff we carry, how we sleep, I don't know. But when you are doing that journaling, the morning pages, it goes back again, doesn't it, to there's no such thing as perfection. So it doesn't have to be your best handwriting. It doesn't have to be grammatically correct. No one's going to read it. Don't let them slap them if they try. You know, it's just your words, getting them out, as you say, isn't it? Yes. So, and that's another thing I tell my clients is because, um, uh, especially in my religious practice, we're told to journal for posterity. So a lot of people that I talk to that uh, belong to my church or believe in my religion are like, oh, well, I'm journalist, I'm journaling for my kids to read this. And I'm like, this is a totally different journal. This is not a journal for your kids. It's not a journal for posterity. This is for you. And if you want to throw it away and if you want to rip it up and throw it away when you get done, fine. But the therapeutic practice of writing it down there is scientific proof that that it you it stays in your memory longer and it helps cement those behaviors and those thoughts and those emotions and connecting all that together I love it I think it's very therapeutic I'm quite old-fashioned I'm quite old actually in a nutshell quite old but as well as being old I'm old-fashioned and I still hand write one of my books <laughs> Obviously, it's not oh, how you nice. buy them because you won't be able to read a single word of it because I've got shocking handwriting. <laughs> but I find it's like a creative healing process. So when I start doing my books, it's pen to paper connection. Yeah, it's therapeutic. I definitely. And so these people, um, some of my clients will be like, well, I keep my notes on my phone. And I'm like, I highly suggest that you write it. There is something about writing. But if you, you know, I can, I can you know 
do what works for you, but I do think that writing, and I do have some research that has backed that up, that writing hand to paper is the best way for memory. And I also feel like it kind of gets that energy out. It's almost like all that angst and all those, you know, maybe negative feelings that are in you when you get it out on paper number one you can look at it more objectively but number two it kind of gets it out of you you know if I can just get it all out then I'm not holding it inside so that I snap at the next person that looks at me wrong or I get mad about this simple thing that happened because it didn't turn out perfectly because I'm I'm um monitoring my emotions better and I'm able to you know mitigate some of that um, outbursts that I don't want to have by learning to get my emotions out on paper and uh, work with it from there yeah I think it's so true because it's almost like a mirror like when I used to do the morning pages I didn't realize but I was like blurting it all out and when I read it back, I used to say, I think, I think this will happen. I think I would like to do this. And it was very much thinky, thinky, not a lot of action, Peggy, if I'm honest. <laughs> and it was all like that awareness that once it's out, you read it back and you're like, I'm thinking, but I'm not doing. And when we write things down, like you're saying, like, what is it you want? What are your beliefs? What are your goals? When you write it down and look at it, it's almost like an action plan. It's almost like a first step, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, exactly. And that's why it's one of the very first things I have my clients do because it kind of when we and it might take a couple times to really get clear on what your values and goals are, especially if you've never done this exercise before. Um, but once you really get clear on that, it can guide it can guide the rest of your life and and they and your values and goals can change from year to year. Right. Your your beliefs. We learn we learn and grow every day. And as we learn and grow, our values and beliefs and goals may change. And that is fine. And what's even funner about that is if you wrote that down and kept that is going back and looking at things that you wrote before and went, wow, I have really changed my opinion on that because I've learned more. Or I'm really able to manage this emotion a lot better because I'm thinking about it differently because I learned this. So that's also another fun thing about writing it down. Yeah, and I encourage it in my next book, Good Grief, to journal how you are because you always think you're stuck in grief. When actually, if you start to journal it down like a grief diary almost, you will know and you will see that you do move forward. You you look back and you're like, oh, wow, that was really negative or maybe it was a positive lesson, something. But when you look back, it's there. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Yeah. Thank you so much. I've absolutely loved this. We've said neuroplasticity lots of times, so I'm a happy woman. (laughs) I know. I love neuroplasticity. (laughs) But just so many things about how you suppressed your emotions, about gratitude, resilience, journaling. So thank you so much for joining us today on the show. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. If you enjoyed today's episode, please make sure you subscribe and leave a positive review. If you would like to create your own positive changes, you can buy Positive Changes, a self-kick book from all online book retailers or from ShellyFKnight.com. If you need a dollop of positivity until the next episode, come like and follow us over on Facebook at Shelley F. Knight. Life Goes On.
As always, I've been Shelley F. Knight and you've been amazing. <laughs>